This is the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume. The internet knows me a little bit better as Nine Squirrels. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We are talking to Vincent Corella, who's actually somebody I've known for years from the game industry, but he's been doing a lot of other stuff lately, and I actually want him to talk about that. So, Vincent, can you set us up with the quick 30 seconds of who you are and what you're up to? Um, I'm a writer and a photographer, and um, I have been pursuing the conjunction of those two disciplines and trying to marry them together into something coherent and uh, and functional. Awesome. So, I wanted one of the first things I wanted to talk about. You know, obviously, I know you from from your days in the game industry, and there was a point in your life where you 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 put all your chips on the table and you said, you know what, I'm going full time into your 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 writing. You're going full time into into a, a different life, and I'm curious if you could walk me through what that experience was like because i know there's a lot of people who are doing you know some other jobs and they've got some sort of creative thing that they're they're that they got going on in their head and they haven't they haven't made that move yet and i'm wondering if you could talk me through what that experience was like well i i've done that three or four times in my life um have made the decision to pursue my heart's desire as opposed to what is reasonable and, and logical for me <laughs> to be doing um and, you know, it's it's terrifying, but it's also it feels really inevitable and it feels like, why would I be doing anything else? Um, you know, I I. I have often had ideas and motivations which could not be satisfied by working for another person. It's not an egotistical or arrogant thing. It's 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 a practical thing. I wanted to do certain things that required, um, you know, a, a level of freedom that I just didn't have working for the man. So, I mean, I, I get that, but there had to be that one day, right? The day where you made the decision. Like yesterday I was cool with this and today it's as you say it's inevitable. I've got to make this thing happen. What, what tell me about that day? What is in, in in the last event that this happened? What did what did that day look like? Oh, in the last time that this happened. Okay, so that was about 3 or 4 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it was when I was trying to – I had gotten laid off from my job at uh, Nickelodeon Shockwave. I was preparing a resume. I was going out there doing the typical job hunting stuff, looking on LinkedIn, going to Glassdoor, Indeed, wherever the job places were. And what I was realizing was that who I was as a person and what I brought to the table was not something that – it didn't actually appear on my resume. Hmm. Like the, I could not describe in words – what I did well, um, and that I didn't think I would ever be seen or recognized for those strengths if I just continued to go out there and put resumes out and pursued uh, a typical job search. So what was so, the next? So what was the next step for you? All right, you 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 said all right, this is I got to make a change. What was the, what was the next sort of logistical step? How did you step into your next thing? I sat down and I took stock of who I was. I actually, you know, wrote down what my strengths and weaknesses were. And I tried to put together sort of out of that recipe, what could I do with that? How could I create an identity which was unique, but also that fulfilled some sort of need that the world or society had? So where did you, so that sounds cool. Um, how in that in that sheet did you figure out how you were going to pay rent? I mean, how did you how did you how did you deal with that inevitability of being a working artist? Of okay, I need to do this thing because this is what I need to do. But there's also that you know I need to keep clothes on my back and feed myself. Like how did how did you balance that with this new dream? I didn't. I actually didn't. <laughs> I didn't give any thought to how I was going to pay rent. At the time, I had a pretty, you know, decent sized bank account and I had a 401k. So I had some money to kind of fall back on. And I just sort of hoped and prayed and believed that, you know, if you build it, they will come, which Mm -hmm. is really, you know, pretty naive. But I didn't let that stop me. I I just decided I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. 
so tell me tell me about where where that went from there so what was what what did the next so this is about three years ago tell me how the next three years sort of unfolded you know, I started picking up practical gigs that I, you know, that I could get right away. So for me at the time, it was, you know, some small writing gigs and some small photography gigs mm-hmm. that were just enough to barely pay some bills, not all of my bills, but, mm-hmm. you know, get my, get my um, chops down, figure out what I was doing, learn some things and begin to, uh, um, um, you know, I wanted to kind of hit the ground running and make some money doing something. So I, I hung out my shingle as a photographer and a writer and I got, I got some gigs, you know, mostly word of mouth. Um, I did a little bit of Craigslist and, uh, and, and LinkedIn and stuff like that and, um, just started to build upon small successes. So let's, let's focus on the photography side of it for a moment. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, for anyone listening, you need to go check out Vincent's photography. It's fucking awesome. Um, thank you. So it, it, it is really good stuff. And so looking back on the last three years and, and looking at how you kind of went out and looked for work and how you tried to monetize the photography side of things, what would you have done differently? What if you were if you were to go back in time three years ago and say, "All right, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to do it better this time." What what would you have done differently? Well, I I I think I did a really good job on the creative side. Like I I developed a uh, a product, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, but I I didn't know how to monetize it, and I really kind of failed in the business development side of things. Which, ironically, I've done business development before. I thought I was pretty good at it, but I, I, I failed at the business development side of things. Um, and I think going back, I would have put more energy and time into, you know, laying the groundwork for creating clients, for building a client list and, and, ha- and having a, a better business plan. I did not have one of those. Yeah. You know, I, I hear this one a lot and I'm, I'm wondering if you, I mean, I can remember when we did our Kickstarter uh, for one of our games. That was exactly the response that we had. You know, I failed two Kickstarters, and and on both of those, I came back and I said, the problem was when we started the Kickstarter, we didn't have sort of the, we didn't have a big enough mailing list. We didn't have enough people that could get excited about what we were doing at the very beginning to build that momentum. And I'm wondering now because you you know things have picked up and, and you've you've got a, a larger client base that sort of thing. What what was what was effective for you in building a client base, and what was not effective in in, in terms of of developing clients? And I think this is something that, that not just photographers, but maybe the you know other people who are looking for uh, clients in a freelance sort of uh, career. What's been what's been successful, and what's not been successful in building a client base? Well, first of all, let me just say that I do not have a large client base right now, and I am not successful. I had to get back into the job market in order to pay my bills and cover my ass. Um, so um, I th- I actually failed. I'm a, I am a partial failure at what I tried to do. You know, knocking on people's doors and doing the old-fashioned sales call was not working for me. Okay. Um, I, I I spent a lot of time developing some messaging and putting together a. Uh, was branding for myself, mm-hmm. um, but that wound up being sort of a fool's errand in that it, 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 again, I built it, they didn't come. Um, mm. I just was not able to put together something that, that took off to the point that could sustain me. Now, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's expensive to live here. Yeah, I also that's, that's a hard thing to sustain. I also have two teenagers and I'm a single parent. So, you know, there are certain realities. If I lived in Boise, Idaho and I was single, I, I might have been able to make it. Or if I was a single guy living with some roommates, I, I would have been able to make it at least much longer. My kids right now who both want to be artists when they grow up, I'm telling them, look, the first thing you got to get out of your head is don't get married and have a family because, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's a burden. I, not that I regret doing what I did, but if you're going to be an artist, you got to live lean and mean and you have to have, you know, minimized your responsibilities. You, and you're you, over. 
You know what's funny is is this has become a recurring theme in the podcast. We were talking to Jessica Tams about how she started Casual Connect, and and her answer was, I I I moved into my basement and I rented my house to cut my costs, and I sold my car. That was that was how she started. You know, I was talking yeah. to uh, Ariel Allaire about how she started Legacy, and she was like, Yeah, we had a period where we failed, and I took out a mortgage on my house, and I. I, I used the mortgage on my house to do payroll, and had that gone poorly, I probably would have lost my house. I mean, the, it's what's interesting to me is is you know I, I think you may be a little hard on yourself. You're saying, well, I've I've been kind of a failure. The stories that you're telling are the exact same stories that I hear from people who would consider them successes, right? It's just a it's another step in the journey. You know, I actually in my last podcast, which I'm about 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 to put up. I was talking about the fact that this this sort of constant string of failures is the journey for a working artist because you you can't avoid it. It doesn't matter how how good you are at what you do, you're going to have to fight through these things. No, you're right. You're you're right. And I did those things. I I sold everything that wasn't nailed down. I sold my childhood baseball card and comic book collection. I you know, I I drained my 401k. I mean, I'm 51 years old. I have nothing to fall back on and a very small bank account. I mean, I did all these things in order to finance this business and at the end of the day, I, you know, I don't have it right now. Now I learned a lot and I developed a lot of cool things and I think I could turn this into something maybe in the future, but right now I'm I'm not cooking with gas. So I so here's the question. This is a yeah, I'm 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 sorry to harp on the business side of stuff, but I think it's a fascinating conversation and I think it's a conversation working artists need to hear. Not not as like a cautionary tale, but as a this is actually what it's like in the if this is what you want to do, this is what you're dealing with. Going back three years, would you have done the same thing? Would you have made that? Would you? No, would, I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, well, not not specifically all, the same path, but would you have made the big decision to go follow your heart three years? Yes, ago? yes, yes. I had to. I, I I really felt like I had no choice. I. And I felt like the you know the conditions in the job market kind of pushed me into it. I I was not getting. I, I mean, you don't even get responses to your resumes anymore, let alone calls in for interviews. It's it's cutthroat out there. Um, you know, you're not being seen. You're not being heard. You're working just as hard anyway. Why not just put it into your own deal? That's that's how I looked at it. Um, I had to do this. All these factors came together at the right time, um, and it, it just felt inevitable to me. You would be surprised how many people I've talked to who have written a book, or they've done a game that they wanted to do, or they've they've you know any sort of creative endeavor that starts from the very same place that you're talking about. I was pushed into this thing because. The thing that I was doing that was, you know, a, a good solid paycheck and I was, I was, I was living fine. And then that ended and I realized, well, I wasn't doing anything anyway, so I might as well use my time effectively. That story is so much more common a story in the creative industry than anyone wants to admit. I believe it. And, and people, people try to hide it. You know, a lot of people will say, Oh, no, no, this is, I knew that was the time that I had. And that's why I quit. You know, you didn't quit. I know that company. That company had layoffs. And, oh, and, yeah. and, and that, that story of, and, and I think, you know, again, what do you, what do you do with your time? Do you do something creative with your time or do you sit around and watch a bunch of, you know, uh, reruns of friends and feel bad about yourself? I think there's two different ways you can handle that. And I think the, you know, following your heart and doing something that you want to do, it's a, it's so much more a common story than we want to believe. Oh, but I was, you know, I, I struggled with that sitting around and watching reruns of friends thing too. I mean, it wasn't like I was, you know, really working hard 24 seven that whole time. I mean, I fought against my own, you know, inner demons during that time. And it was hard. It was hard to muster the energy and the, and the courage to, to keep working on, on the business. All right. So I want to, I want to talk about that exact thing for a minute because you, you did do something uh, that I think, I, I, you know, if you work in the creative industry, I think every, every third person you talk to says I'm working on a novel, Right. And and you didn't work on a novel. You wrote a novel. You published a novel, quite good novel, uh, quite 
critically acclaimed novel. And and that particular task of writing a novel is a, is a it's it's a it's largely a solo effort. It's not something you do with a big huge team. So how did you do exactly that thing? How did you stop yourself from watching Friends and get yourself to the computer and get yourself to get through that process? How did you overcome those demons? Because you were successful in actually completing a, a critically acclaimed novel. How did you do that thing? God, that was, I mean, I had to create a process from scratch. You know, not not having ever done it before, I had to invent a a ritual, a routine, which was extremely difficult to do. And every day I fought against it. I, I didn't want to do it. Um, and it was hard. So what, what um, was your ritual? I would love to hear the actual nuts and bolts of what your writing ritual was. Um, at the time, it was, um, you know, spending four to five hours in the morning um, at a cafe um, after having read something inspirational beforehand i was re i was re always reading another novel i was reading books about writing written by other writers i had another writer who had already finished a novel you know kind of giving me pep talks i was emailing with him every day and i had an agent um who was also giving me pep talks and um then my my own will i mean i just white knuckled it and it, it was very difficult so you you went through the process and I, I i i you correct me if i'm wrong i read somewhere that it took you seven years to put this book together is that is yeah. that a correct statement it is um what did that seven years look like i mean were you was it was it equal amount of effort through the whole seven years or was it like the last no. two years i really knuckled down or like tell me about that seven years it was really the first 18 months, which was the knuckling down part. Mm -hmm. And then for the rest of the time, it was periods of, you know, intense stress and work. I mean, at the exact same time, I had my first two kids. I, I, I was in a new marriage. I moved cross country. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in my life that, you know, sometimes the novel had to take a back seat. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it put a heavy strain on my marriage it um it 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 depressed the hell out of me um you know i i i had to face sort of that long night of the soul many many times um and uh and on top of that i didn't know what i was doing i had never written a novel before i didn't go to school for writing i didn't i didn't know what i was doing nor did i even have an outline that i was working from i didn't even know what i was writing so you finished the novel it's called, for those who don't know, it's called The Serpent Box. Critically acclaimed. You know, most, I, I, I went through, I read a bunch of, of, you know, what people had to think about your novel. Most people who've read it thought it was a, was a very solid read, a uh, very original read. Were you happy with it? When you look back on the book yourself, do you think to yourself, yeah, that's what I wanted to do? Um, there are parts of it that I'm really proud of, um, but I, you know, that is not in any way my best work, uh, nor will it be my best work. I, I wish I could go back and edit it again, but you know it is what it is. It's it's um, it's a pretty darn good first novel, and uh, um, I'm mostly happy with it. I can't remember who said it. There's a, somebody at some point said that uh, all works of art are never finished; they're just abandoned. Right. That, that at, at some yeah. point you just have to be like, yeah, all right, I'm done. Put, put it out there and and i i can say for everything i've ever done every game i've ever made uh there's always been that god i wish i could go back and and change this i don't know any working artist that doesn't have that feeling of wishing they could go back and revise even the best thing they ever did well i don't want to go back and revise it i mean i'm, I'm done with it but i i you know I, if looking back at it critically i can see where it could benefit from a lot of revision you said at one point, and again, you can correct me if I'm misquoting you. You said at one point that I remember uh, that you you found a truer calling in photography than in writing. Well, s since I said that, um, things have changed a little bit. Um, first of all, I don't see that much of a difference between the two things the way I the way I practice both those disciplines. Um, I you know photography is more immediate gratification. And it's, it's easier to do for me. Um, I can, you know, within a few hours 
have something artistically satisfying in front of me. Um, it's it's you know it's really good masturbation. Excuse my terminology. Uh, writing takes. Tr- trust me, I use a lot worse words in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, writing is much much harder work. Um, you know, it's like carpentry. It, mm. It's just it just is it just requires a lot more blood, sweat, and tears. And um, I've lost my train of thought, but I I, I do find. I am much more of a writer than I am a photographer. But again, I see them both as overlapping. I'm, I'm curious. You said that you, you see photography and writing coming from the same place, that you see it being sort of two different sides of the. So what is what is the heart? What is the kernel? What is the what is this? You say they overlap. What is it that they share? Because because for me, I don't I don't I don't get that. But I'm neither a photographer nor a writer. So I'm, I'm not equipped to answer that question. They, they share a common source, and that is the intuition. Um, they, they, they come from a place not of the conscious self, um, at least the way I understand them. Um, I don't really think about it. Uh, it, it, it happens. It, it feels like it's something that's channeled through me, and um, I don't really know what I'm doing. I, much, I don't plan either. I don't think about doing photography and I don't think about writing. I, I pretty much sit down and let it just flow through me. That sounds very difficult to schedule. Well, it is. Now you understand why <laughs> it's so difficult for me to, to finish the book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so as a, I mean, so as a working photographer, right. Uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the job that you went and took is still as a working photographer. Um, what do you do when the inspiration's not there? I I need to I need to do some photography today. I I I've, I've got a client and he told me to do this thing, and I'm just I'm not feeling it. How do you power through that? Well, that's different. I mean, when you're doing client work, it's not the same as when you're doing the work for yourself. At least for me. Um, so you uh, see you see a very big difference between your own personal artistic vision of what you're doing and somebody's telling you i need i need these pictures taken and this is what i need for you those are very different tasks i wouldn't say that they were very different because i have to bring some of that intuitive sensibility to it and i won't do work if it's purely uh um you know boilerplate but i can't i mean um but but i i the work that i do for a client is a is more structured you know there's a there's a specific goal in mind and the client most of the time doesn't have the same sensibility that I do they they want a very clear-cut product and I try to give them that with a little bit of my sensibility blended in Mm. but but have you have you I mean I I think a lot of the people who will be listening to this podcast who this will really speak to is there a number of freelance artists uh, people who who do you know uh, illustration for magic cards and that sort of thing, and sometimes they get projects where they're like, "Wow, I'm just totally into this," and then sometimes they get projects where they're like, "Yeah, I'm not into this at all, but holy shit, the money's good, and I you know it's it's art, and I you know I can't not." How do you deal with that second one? How do you how do you get yourself inspired to do good work? When it's just not really anything you're terribly interested in, but like you say, the, the the money is good and you need it. Well, that you know, there's an interesting parallel to writing there, mm-hmm. um, which is that I, I I I learned early on that often really good stuff came on days when I was really uninspired and I didn't think I was going to create good stuff, and that happens in photography too. Um, that I don't have the ability to discern when my best shit's going to come out. So I just have to approach every opportunity, you know, as, as a fresh opportunity to, to be creative, never really knowing when the good stuff's going to happen. Uh, you know, sometimes really great stuff happens for clients that you just didn't anticipate. And you're always learning something anyway. So even the crappiest job, that just seems on the surface to be, oh, my God, I have to do this. And you really feel like you're whoring yourself out. 
there's always some pearl, you know this, that you yeah. that you discover um, that you can, and you rely on that. That happens so consistently that it becomes almost the the carrot that is pulling you forward. So I, you know, I can, I can, I can respond to that a little bit from my experience because one, you know, we we take work as game studios, and sometimes we work on games that, you know, all right, we need the money, and somebody wants to make this game, and it's it's absolutely not a game that I would have ever decided to make. Um, and and you probably worked with a lot of developers uh, at 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 MTV with this because a lot of times it's license work, right? Somebody yeah. comes to you and they've got some license and they're like, "Dude, we own SpongeBob SquarePants and and we need somebody to make SpongeBob SquarePants bowling." And in a million years, I would not say, "Man, I really wish I was making SpongeBob SquarePants bowling. I wish that's what I got to do with an and and in game development, it's not you know this weekend. It's for the next six months of my life or eight months of my life, that's what I'm going to dedicate it to. And there's a real danger if you do get in the mental place that you turn your head off and you say, I'm just going to do this and you know, I'm not going to think about it. You're actually exercising negative muscles. You actually create bad habits. You actually destroy your ability to artistically work on something if you get yourself in the mindset of, I don't care about the work that I'm doing. If you get that place, it can be a real danger. Absolutely. I mean, don't forget, as a game developer, when somebody's paying you yep. to work to work on honing your art and technology pipeline, that's a, that's a win, man. Yeah. So, yeah, it sucked making SpongeBob bowling, but I was I was using it to build shit on the sly. Not separate shit, but like, you know, like figuring process out. Figuring yep. how to make things you know you know this. It's it's exactly how, how we've operated, but sometimes I, I have to say it's it's uh it's a real struggle and, and one of the biggest struggles and I I wanna hear you talk a little bit about this as well. For me, one of the biggest struggles is when a lot of the the fun part of the work, the creative part of the work, is pulled out of your hands because that's what the client wants to do, right? The client wants to come in and make creative decisions, and then they want you to kind of do the work around it. And you're looking at the creative decisions that the client is making, and you're like, those are not good creative decisions. That is not something we ought to be doing. But you have to do it because that's the, that's the guy who's paying the bills. And this must be the case in photography. You must run into this, no? You know, I'm, I've been pretty lucky in photography because my work is – it has a, a a unique sensibility and people hire me because of that. So they, they usually let me run with it. And I have a long discussion with the client beforehand and I say, look, look at my work. Do you like it? If so, you've got to let me run with, how, you know, how I do things to some extent. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've been able to, you know, work on some projects that have allowed me to exercise my particular sensibilities. But that being said, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, sometimes you have to suck it up and do shit. It, it happens. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's hard. It's, it's especially a struggle again in, when you're working on projects that take eight months. You know, it's it's one thing to suck it up for a weekend. It's a it's a hard thing to say you're going to suck it up for 2013. <laughs> like, I know. That's that's a that's a hard challenge for people. Uh, so I want to I want to move to a, a slightly more creative uh, topic. Um, I, I want I want to hear a story from you, and and the story I want to hear is there was a post that you made on on Facebook recently, and and it's there was a there was a quote, and it says he was one of the first strangers I approached for a portrait, perhaps the pivotal man, and now I'll ask anyone. Thank you, Wayne. That was a, that was a post you made on Facebook, and it comes with one of my favorite pictures of yours. And it's a uh, it's a photograph of a of an of an older gentleman with a with a very well textured beard. And I would love to hear that story. I would love to hear you tell me that story. Well, that story has happened thousands of times for me. Um, you know, you're just wandering around uh, in some strange place. Um, and you run into a person, you strike up a conversation, 
and a relationship is formed. And that's what happened with Wayne. I, I happened to be with my daughter that day. I was in a really small town in Northern California called Valley Ford. I was on the side of the road with my camera. I was taking pictures of an old boat that was on the side of the road. This man came out. I asked him questions about the boat. He answered questions. He answered the questions. He was really nice. Um, and he invited me into his garage. He was, you know, a mechanic. And, uh, I went in and, and took pictures of his garage and we, we talked. And then I said, I asked him his name and I said, you have an amazing face. Please let me take a photograph of your face. And he said, yes. Um, and you know, it, it was, the picture is the picture that you saw. And, um, that's basically how I like to take pictures. I like to, you know, learn about who people are, develop a certain sense of intimacy with them and, um, and try to capture their essence, try to capture some element of their soul, uh, on film, so to speak. I couldn't do this, me personally. Uh, that thing that you just explained, that ability to go to somebody I, I don't know and say, I think that your face, for whatever reason, uh, is is something that I want to capture, that seems a very personal thing to me. That seems a very... Uh, how do you... How do you, uh, how do you as a photographer, how do you develop that rapport with somebody so quickly and not feel weirded out and uncomfortable about it? Because I, I would. Well, Chris, I know you pretty well. You actually could do that. Um, you, you, you know, you are that kind of a person. You do talk to people. You you have conversations with strangers. I, I know that you do. Um, it, it's It's no different than asking someone to tell you about their family or where they grew up or any number of, of personal details that you might, you know, ask in a conversation. You, you um, don't find that the action of, of actually taking an image of somebody, that seems a very personal moment to me. Well, it is because it's like kissing someone on the mouth. That, um, that's kind of my point. And I, I do talk to a lot of people, but I don't kiss a lot of people on the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you, how do you, how do you make, cause, cause one thing, I mean, one, one thing that's always amazing about your portraits is there there is a real feeling of the the life of the person you know to, to, I, I could take a picture of a person and you can say oh well that that's that guy i know that guy i recognize him from the picture but to take a picture of someone where you see their person inside of that picture that's a very personal act and and i i wonder how you get to that space how do you how do you get that picture instead of just the hey this is a guy and you can tell from the picture it's that guy? How do you get to that personal space in your in your photographs? The short answer is I don't know. But the longer answer is by um opening myself up, by opening my heart, by being honest and authentic with that person and by being and by listening. Um by most people um ha want to to be heard. Most people have a story to tell. Most people want to be seen. Um, and when you express, you know, an authentic interest in that, you'd be surprised at how many people are willing to just basically take off their clothes and be naked in front of you. And I don't, I mean, I don't mean that literally. Yeah, but, figuratively, yeah. Um, though sometimes it is literal, but uh, it's, 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 just striking up a real relationship with another human being. Um, and that happens all the time on airplanes, on trains. Uh, uh, you know, it, it just, it happens. It's, it's happened to me all my life. And um, it was natural for me to take the leap into photography because, you know, the camera gives me permission to ask that question. When I, it's like this magic box in my hand and people think, oh, well, it sort of gives me a certain, an air of, 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 um, uh, what's, what's the right word? It, 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 it makes people feel like they're in, it's like, it's like a doctor and he's got his stethoscope or her stethoscope around her neck and the white lab coat. Um, you just trust that person in that field because of that. And that happens with me in the camera. I, I walk around with it. And I develop a rapport with somebody, and then boom, I can ask the question. Sometimes I don't ask the question. Sometimes I just shoot. 
So I have a I have a slightly different question to ask, and 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 I apologize if this comes out. Of, uh, it, it, I don't mean this to sound rude, but I, I worry that it will. We've we've reached this time where everyone thinks they're a photographer. Once once there was social media, and once there was Facebook, and once everybody was walking around with a digital camera in their pocket attached to their phone all the time, and and now there's you know everyone's got access to filters. Um, Everyone with a digital camera and a filter thinks they're a photographer. They're not. What what makes a photographer different? What what makes a photographer not just a dude with a camera? How do you what what is that difference in your mind? Well, first I would say that everyone is a photographer. You're right. I mean, we all have cameras. We're all taking pictures now at a much greater you know rate than we had been in the past. We are photographers. What you're asking is, what's the difference between a photographer like myself and somebody who does it just sort of on a whim and takes snapshots? If you're going to start asking people for money, what value are you adding beyond the guy with the with it? How do you? For, and I ask this for somebody who wants to be a photographer. How does he develop into a person that's somehow special as a photographer? It's having a unique eye. It's seeing the world differently. And I would, you know, it's the same as being a writer or being a game developer. Anybody can call themselves one of those things. But to be successful at it, you have to have a different approach. You have to see things differently and add something unique to the world and um, and and be true. You know, you, you have to be honest in it. Um, and that shows through. That's that's what the difference is is that there's a level of honesty which comes through the work. Um, you can certainly take honest, amazing, moving photographs with, with an iPhone. It doesn't really make a difference what camera you have, but it's, it's intent. It's, it's, what, it's, it's the level of intent that you bring to the art. But it's also a certain level of experience. You've seen the world and you've spent your life looking at the world differently you see more than just the surface of things. You see beyond the surface of things because um, somehow form and what we see with our eyes reveals the formlessness behind it. That's a weird conundrum. I don't understand it, but it, I find it to be true that we're seeing something with our eyes that can't actually be seen with our eyes, if that makes any sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. And, I would follow that up with, let's say, um, you said your daughters are interested in being artists. Uh, let's say one of one of your daughters says the art that I want to follow is photography. Let's say somebody at at their age, uh, they're they're teenagers, I believe, um, says this is what I want to do in my life. I want to be a photographer. And aside from holy shit, no, you don't want to do that. That's a hard way to make a living. How would you tell them to develop themselves? What what would be the path to getting good at that? The first would be to study great works of photography, cinematography, and, and art, you know, composition in general. Um, so, you know, be a student of painters and photographers and cinematographers. Um, and know what you like and know what moves you then take a camera and go out and take 10,000 pictures um and and figure out what your voice is try to find your voice um that's how what do you, I how do you get to the place where you can look at those pictures and know this one's good and this one's not how do you get there um I know it's a very difficult question. I know that's a, a very broad, difficult question. But I'm still you know, asking it. <laughs> it's a strange thing. I mean, it's like a lot of times people, you know, who are writers will say, oh, I've got this great story or this great poem. Can you read it? Um, and you know instantly whether that person has it or doesn't have it. And it's the same with photography or art of any kind you know you you look at a thing or you read a thing and you're either moved emotionally or you're not and you know 
you can you know you've got the ability to look at a photograph and judge its 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 merits when you can feel that when when you're able to to feel whether or not it, it moves you and beyond words i mean beyond beyond critique so so judging from from this and from earlier things you said in the interview it sounds to me like for you art is almost an uncontrollable thing that sits inside of you it's not something you can just build like a craftsman with a with a set of rules or a set of techniques it's something not that the that techniques and things aren't important but there is at the heart of true art something undefinable inside the person is that a, is that a correct sort of assessment of your feelings about art i don't know i mean I think that everyone is capable of doing true art at some level and in some medium. It's just finding the one that resonates with you. Um, and it's finding your voice in that medium, mm. um, which is a really hard thing to do. Um, we can probably all of us convey something true and emotional in a photograph um, or in a painting if we worked hard enough at it or even in a story. Um, some of us have to work harder at it than others. So is it something undefinable within a person? Um, to some extent, yeah. I mean, th that's, I guess, what the definition of talent is, right? You, you can study a thing and you can learn a craft and understand all of the technical aspects that make a person good at it. But if you don't have talent at it, um, you know, you're not you're you're not going to be able to 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 be proficient. I mean, uh, there are millions of things that I can never do well that I I won't do well, and I don't do those things. Yeah, it's interesting. There's there are other schools of thought that everyone can do anything if they put the time and the effort and the whatnot into it. It has not been my experience that that is true. It's been my experience that there's always at the heart of something. And, and and my belief is it comes through a true enjoyment of that thing. You know, my you know my daughter loves to 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 she's in the ballet and she loves to do ballet, and it's the fact that she truly loves the ballet that gives her the ability to power through those days when her back hurts or her legs hurt and she doesn't want to do it, but she loves it so much that she has to do it anyway. And that thing, that that internal love of this is how I'm expressing my voice. That's what powers you through and gets you to do the work to develop your craft. I think that's part of it as well. I, I agree. I, I heard that was true of Michael Phelps. You know, he, you know, he, he tried many, many things, and swimming was the thing that he loved doing. Um, I love photography and I love writing, and that makes those arduous hours of toil bearable all right on that happy note i'm gonna ask the the sort of last question i asked this from from everybody i've gotten some pretty interesting answers on it if if somebody were to just skip forward to this moment of the interview and they were like okay i want to know what this dude's got to say what's what's his what's what's what, what's he got to tell me what is sort of the one thing that you would want somebody to know about you and your art and who you are and what you do what would be the one thing that you wish people could get to the end of this interview and be like, yeah, I listened to this interview and this, this Vincent guy, he said, blah. What, what would that blah be? Well, it, it sounds sort of banal and cliche, but it, it's be true to who you are, um, which is not an easy thing to do because most of us don't know who we are. Um, but we kind of do. You know, if, if you really think about it in your heart, you know what makes you tick. You know what you love, and you really know what you want to be doing. Just hmm. do it, and and do it young and do it early. I tell my kids right now. I said, find something you love right now, something that you would do even if you weren't paid to do, and pursue that. Uh, I wish that somebody had told me to do that when I was younger, because um, <laughs> that's what life is all about in my opinion. Um, and that's what we're put on earth to do, to, again, to be sort of trite, put on earth. But 
you know, we, we, we're here for a reason. We're here to bring joy and happiness into other people's lives. And um, we're, we're given, again, you can argue out, uh, over that, a talent that will, that will enable you to do that. And, and that's what I think we have to find and pursue. Awesome. So the the very last thing I'll ask this is uh this is your chance to pimp your stuff. If people, you know, we talked a lot about your your photography and what you do. If I wanted to go and find out some more about you and see the work that you do, if I wanted to read your books, where would I go? What what would be the can you can you let people know where they can go and and get a hold of your stuff? Well, you can find Serpent Box on Amazon. You can go to serpentbox.com. You can find my photography at thelighthouse.photography. But I would suggest anybody who's interested in learning more about me and my work, go to my blog, which is uh, the Serpent Box on WordPress. And um, that's where I marry my my writing and my photography together. And I really sort of um, uh, flex uh, what it is we've been saying here. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're still doing a lot of photography in the Bay Area. So people who are looking for a photographer in the Bay Area for various photographic needs, uh, they can get a hold of you through that as well? Yes, but I'm only doing portrait work now. I'm not really doing anything else. Okay, so but if somebody who's looking to have portrait work done, they can, they can find that information through there as well? They, they can find it on the lighthouse.photography. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. This has been one of the more candid and honest interviews I've done, and I, I really appreciate you for, for the level of honesty that you brought to this. I think for especially a lot of young working artists, knowing that this is sort of the true face of following your dream, I think this is important, and I think it's critical, and I think this has been an absolute wonderful talk, Vincent. Thank you, Chris, for having me, and thanks for the very intelligent questions. So I know that was a little bit weird for an interview. I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, hey, wait, where's the where's the huge financial success that comes with this? Where's the story where he sold his book and made millions of dollars? Or, uh, you know, where's the where's the the bit where his his photography, you know, had a viral success? And was, where where's that part of the movie? Because we're so used to that story. We're so used to that story having this this very clear moment at the end where you know the the music rises and we have the huge success we're really we're really used to daniel getting the trophy at the end of karate kid and the cobra kai coming and telling him you know we never meant it it's all good work and he gets the you know i, I what was it ali sheedy or what i forget the girl he, the girl you know daniel gets the girl and I, the problem is the world doesn't really work like that right working artists reward is being a working artist. That's what we get, right? Maybe maybe we have some some huge success. I've had a couple games do really well. Uh, you know, other people have had other successes that you know whether it was a critical success or a financial success or something like that. But that's not the life of a person who makes things. The person of a life who makes things, the person of a life, the life of a person who makes things is making things. And right now, Vincent is heads down deep in that journey. And what's to be most respected from somebody in that journey is their ability to keep on going, as 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 Vincent put it, to to white knuckle your way through when it's hard to get up in the morning and write that book, when it's hard to to go to rehearsal one more time, even though the song just doesn't sound right. To 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 sit and you're looking at your comic books and you're 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 writing and you're whatever it is you're doing and you're saying everyone else does this and they it seems easier for them, but it seems hard when I do it. You know, I've got a good friend and she's trying to get back into uh, writing her, her comic strip. And, and she just looks at the page and she says, I don't know how to make this happen today. And that fight, that is an everyday struggle that every single artist goes through at some point in their life. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, it's a struggle you go through at most points in your life. And, and 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 when you watch the the training sequence, you know the 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 wonderful montage where where Daniel and Miyagi-san are you know at the beach and he's learning his 
fancy crane kick and all that, you know because it's a movie that it's going to end with Daniel doing that crane kick and winning the tournament, and it's going to be great. But that's a movie, and we make movie. We, we when we tell movies about real people, we change them because we want them to fit that narrative, and that narrative is one of struggle, 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 huge success, big payoff. That's that's how we write movies, but that's not how we write lives. Lives are about. A constant struggle, which may or may not ever have a big, obvious payoff. And so the payoff has to be the work itself. You know, there's a, there's a version somewhere of, of the Karate Kid where the Cobra Kai win. And in fact, in most real universes, the Cobra Kai win, right? I mean, the Cobra Kai have been doing, doing this, this thing. They've been practicing karate since they were in like elementary school. Daniel's been doing this, what, six weeks? And, you know, he, he gets a fancy new karate gi and, and learns how to, you know, paint a fence. And suddenly he's kicking ass at the tournament. There's part of me that watches that and thinks, this is fucked up. You know, I I really think, you know, maybe maybe the Cobra Kai are a bunch of douchebags, but you know what? They've put the time in. And I, it would have been a more fair world if at the end of that tournament they had whipped Daniel's lily-livered little ass. That would have been a, in my, my mind, that would have been a better karate kid. But it didn't happen like that. It didn't play out like that. And that's the way the world works. Sometimes you get to be the Cobra Kai. And you know what? I bet the Cobra Kai have a lot of fun going and working out and, and, and doing karate. So that's what I wanted to say. I wanted to, I wanted to get a real sort of portrait, a real picture of an incredible working artist doing incredible work and fighting the good fight to make that thing happen. And Vincent is one of the best examples I know of that. And I highly encourage you to go check out his website, check out his photography. It's some of the best photography on the internet. If you haven't checked out his book, The Serpent Box, I highly encourage you to go read that. It's a beautiful, incredible, uh, somewhat challenging book. Uh, And on that note, we are done for today. It's been a great show. I've got some more great interviews and chats coming up over the next couple weeks. Amazing people that I've got to mix all that down. It's, it's, I can, I can tell you right now, it's already amazing stuff. So I'll see you again for all of that. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you think this is fun, if you want me to keep doing it, then the best thing you can do is go tell your friends, post it on your Facebooks and your Twitters and your whatnots. And, uh, thank you very much. We'll see you on the next show.